Welcome to the Dreamcatcher Podcast, a place where you'll receive a boost of inspiration, practical advice, and tools to maximize your success and personal happiness. And that's not all. You'll also get plenty of guidance on how you can use your gifts, talents, and compassion to contribute towards making the world a better place. Be sure to sign up for our free weekly newsletter for a preview of what's in store and to also receive a free ebook. To sign up, simply visit www.thedreamcatch.com. Now it's my pleasure to introduce you to the host of the Dreamcatcher podcast, Celine Chinoy. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Dreamcatcher podcast, a place where your dreams can find a voice. As humans, we're both body and soul. To thrive, both need to be nurtured and cared for through self-care practices. Neglecting them can cause us to feel drained and depleted. My guest, Stephen Washington, has created a holistic pathway that can give us the freedom to become the person that we want to be. He's here to tell us more about it. Stephen is a movement master, author, and recovery advocate who is passionate about helping others navigate toward a happier and healthier life. As a former professional dancer who's performed at the New York City Opera, Metropolitan Opera, and on Broadway in Disney's The Lion King, his love of movement inspired him to become the highly acclaimed Qigong and Pilates teacher that he is today. He also teaches dance, meditation, laughter, and more. During our conversation, Stephen will offer powerful self-care practices that he learned from his own recovery journey. He'll also share mindsets and mindful movement techniques that can ground and calm us during our busy everyday life. If you like what you heard, please don't forget to like, rate, share, and subscribe to this podcast. Thanks. Hello, Stephen. How are you doing today? I'm great. So lovely to be here with you, Celine. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's wonderful to have you on the show. I appreciate you taking the time to be here to have a conversation about soul care and mindful movement, which you cover in depth in your new book, Recovering You. And I have to say that it is a very timely book. Given the increasing levels of anxiety and mental health issues in our society, don't you think so? Absolutely. My book, Recovering You, is a very timely book. It is always a good time to talk about addiction and how it affects us. It could be of use to anyone and everyone. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I think this book will speak to anyone, whether they have an addiction or not, because you, you give some really, really good um, tools and practices, which we'll get into later on in the interview. And I know that the book is a product of what you learned from your own recovery journey. So why don't we start by you telling us about that journey, Stephen, and how it inspired you to develop the practices that you share in the in the book? Oh, great question. Thank you, Celine. Well, that um, at first it was fun and then it was fun with problems. And then pretty much in the end, it was just problems. <laughs> um, but uh, drugs and alcohol were my solution. 
They were my solution to the fact that I felt very uncomfortable being in my own skin uh, in this world, uh, being a very sensitive person and having survived significant amount of trauma in my life. And I was looking for ways to self-soothe and self-regulate, and I did. And once I found drugs and alcohol, that that became something that I leaned into because it just helped me be in the world. It helped me be in the world. And I didn't find recovery until I was 30 years old. And by that point, I was at the height of my, my, my work career as a dancer. Uh, I was dancing in a Broadway show. Um, I was making more money than I'd ever made before doing the thing that I love to do. So from the outside, it looked as though I had everything. Um, but on the inside, I was really dying inside because of addiction. And I had a lovely friend who was in recovery, who was a powerful example of recovery. He made sobriety look really good. And so intuitively, I just knew that he would be the person to go to, to get help. And he led me to my first recovery journey. And recovery has always been something that has provided me with a blueprint for life. Uh, I feel like when I when I when I was born, when I was born into this world, there was a thought that I had or an energetic feeling that everyone around me got the instruction manual as to how to live life. And for some reason I didn't get it. So I always felt like I was trying to catch up and trying to just figure it out. Uh, what I know now is that none of us really know. We're all just kind of just figuring it out. But my response to life in that way was to use and feel better about myself. But in any event, recovery has given me uh, tools to help me live a healthier, more balanced, uh, grounded, and purposeful life. And along with my 12-step work, I've also done therapy and I've also done other movement practices and other things to help me uh, grow. And it wasn't until I was about 10 years sober that I went back to school for traditional Chinese medicine to become a Chinese medicine doctor. What saved me was the practice of Qigong, the mindful movement that I teach in the book. And it helped me to manage my energy, manage my emotions better, and to help me deal with stress. Because I feel as though stress is a, is a major trigger for many of us. It's something that we all are impacted by. But those of us who are perhaps more highly sensitive and are, are recovering from trauma, uh, stress is can be even more impactful. So... I found that it was an incredible tool for me. It helped me to, it helped me to manage that very challenging experience and thrive and come to really important decisions for myself. And, and it felt really grounded and confident in that. Right. And I just knew that I was going to be able to use that for the rest of my life and help other people do it as well. Sorry, can you please excuse me for a minute? Yes. Sure. Uh, at 9.15, I told him not to disturb until 9.15. I'm recording an interview. Okay. Yes, thank I'm you. I'm sorry? And Yes, please. Okay. Thank you. Really sorry about that. That's okay. <laughs> yeah. 
I, I told them specifically not to interrupt, but here they are. I'm really sorry. Yeah, that's okay. That never happens. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> um, All right. Yeah. Okay. I was I was pretty much done with 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 uh, answering your question. Um, yes, I could. So, so Stephen, you said that you intuitively knew that your friend would somehow give you a solution um, and help you recover from your addiction. So what was that? What was that intuitive feeling that you got that gave you the will to actually at least try to break out of this, this dysfunctional pattern you found yourself in? Yes. I just felt it in my gut. I just felt it in my gut. And I think, I think having that feeling of uh, that, that intuitive hit that I could trust this person and that now was the time to reach out to, to them and have a conversation that was really honest and vulnerable. In order to ask for help, we have to admit that there, that we need help, that there is a problem, which that in and of itself is quite a process. Um, but I just knew that I could trust him. And honestly, Celine, I was, I was desperate. I was really desperate. And I think desperation and just being tired is a really good motivator to try something new, try something that I'd never tried before. And, right. and, and it also is a way I, I feel as though that being at that point, almost like you're on a street and it's a dead end street and you're at the last house on the block. Yes. There's nowhere else to go. Uh, it gave me, it gave me a level of courage to do it because I honestly felt as though I had nothing else to lose by reaching out to this person. And as I said before, he made sobriety look really good. He looked happy, joyous, and free. And I wanted some of that. I really did. Right. And you're lucky you had had him in your life because so many addicts really, they can't find that support system, right? They're just left to their own devices. I mean, recently, yeah. uh, I don't know if you heard about the story, but Aaron Carter did like another celebrity who, who could not manage their addiction and unfortunately passed away as a result of it. So I think having the right support system and finding that the will to actually want to get better and to get sober. I think that's really key. Yeah, it, it is. It really is. And I love what you just said about having a support system. I talk about how important social support is in the book because it was transformative for me. There's no way in the world that I would have been able to to begin my recovery path without help from others. Um, it's hard to do something new when you have no experience doing it at all. We need some sort of example. We need someone to show us. We need someone to mirror uh, to us, for us, what, um, what the path is to show us the way. And it's just, it's so important and it's, it's good for our mental health. Um, I did hear about Aaron Carter. I didn't know the specifics of, of what caused his death and, um, and it's heartbreaking. And I, and yeah, I and have it's happening to say, too often. It's not just celebrities, it but it's just happening in like the general population. Oh, from the, from the, from my early days in recovery, there were people who, who died, who didn't make it. Uh, yeah. I learned that lesson very early on that the longer you stay sober in recovery, you are going to lose people because not everyone is going to, I get this gift and I really look at sobriety and recovery as a gift, 
and not everyone's going to be able to hold on to it. Um, and so for those of us who are left behind, it's important to pay attention to that and to, and to learn from that and, uh, and to be grateful and, and humble by it because it's, it's, it's what happened to him could really happen to anyone. That's true. That's true. Yeah. And what's more, you were able to turn your pain into purpose by writing this wonderful book. Um, and the ti- the subtitle of the book is Soul Care and Mindful Movement for Overcoming Addiction. So, Stephen, how do you define soul care? And why do you think that's an important part of the of the recovery process or the healing process? Soul care for me is anything that we do that tends to the, the health and the well-being of our body our mind and our spirit. When I think of soul care, I think of this this principle in Chinese medicine of the three treasures. It's said that we all have three treasures inside of us. And it's it's essentially the same energy, but in different manifestations of it. So there's our physical body, which is the most dense form of that energy. And then there's our, our emotions, which is a bit more immaterial. And then our thoughts and our consciousness. They are all interconnected. They are all related. And they can't be separated. But underneath the emotions and the consciousness is the physical body. So all the practices in the book really tend to the the health and the well-being of our soul because they're all connected. And I combine movement and I've combined breath work and um, uh, compassionate self-inquiry so that we get to know ourselves better and to look at ourselves in a more compassionate way. Uh, are just some of the tools that I provide that really are soul care tools. And, and I feel as though in order to have a, the type of recovery where we live a more conscious and joyous life, we need to tend to all aspects of ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. And you say that movement is a really key component of that. So can you explain like, what type of movement and why you think it's it's in- integral? I think, well, what I teach in the book is, is Qigong. And that's the ancient Chinese practice of, um, of movement combined with focused intention, deep breathing, and um, to activate, cultivate, and circulate life force energy. It's basically moving with a sense of awareness and with intention. And there are many other practices that do that as well. Yoga is a perfect example of another practice that that holds the same kind of power. Uh, We hold, our bodies are very sensitive and they hold a lot of memory and they hold the trauma that we've experienced in life. And so it's important that we, in terms of healing, that we approach healing through the body because the body is just a memory bank of everything that we've been through. And so what we want ideally through movement is for the energy within the body to flow freely. When the energy doesn't flow freely, it becomes stuck and stagnant. And that can show up as pain, tension, that can show up as um, an inability to manage our emotions and also having chaotic um frenetic thoughts and thinking. And the thing is that mindful movement 
is a way to just bring more balance and harmony within the body. And that affects every other aspect of ourselves. And so I feel as though that's why movement is such a key component to healing and to recovery, uh, because the body is the foundation for everything. Right. And in your book, you actually have diagrams that show like, uh, you know, how to do every move. And I think, I think that was, that, that was great. You know, so people can visually see like what, what it looks like. Mm, thank you so much. I love the illustrations from the book. Yeah. Uh, that was, that was quite a great process. I, uh, and it looked like a, you. It is, it is, <laughs> it, me. Look, it is you. <laughs> well, I took photographs and then I gave the photographs to oh, my right. illustrator okay. and yeah. uh, my illustrator is my friend, Aaron and Aaron and I have known each other for gosh, since our twenties. And uh, she's just this amazing graphic designer. And I I feel as though she, she also has a history of movement and dance. And so she understands how the body moves. And so in those illustrations, you can really feel the movement. And so I I felt like that would be a great way to teach people and for people to learn. Okay. And does it only have to be slow movement? Like, can you experience it? Like when, when you were dancing, when you were enduring your dancing career, was it healing for you? It was healing for me. I feel as though dance was uh, energy medicine that I was using on myself before I even knew what it was. So it doesn't have to be slow movement, but there's something that's really unique that happens when we move slowly with awareness and with breath. Uh, Because I also feel as though the movements that we do with our body also reflect what's happening in the mind. So if we want to affect the mind, we we go through the body and we go through the breath. And so if we want to calm down the mind so that we could uh, be more thoughtful, more cons- um, reflective, then moving slowly is a way to, to do that. It's not to say that you can't play with tempo and go faster, but there is something that's uh, very grounding by moving slowly. And most Qigong exercises are done slowly just so that we can drop into a different type of flow because the world around us is moving a million miles a minute. Oh, that's true. But it's really important for us to be able to find our center within all of that. And sometimes moving slowly with the breath is a way to do that. Okay. And is this part of your self-care ritual? Cause I know you give, you give a bunch of them. So movement is one of them. What other uh, rituals do you have? Uh, deep breathing. There isn't a day that goes by that I don't focus, spend some time focusing on my breath and how I'm breathing. Cause you can tell a lot about how you're feeling by how you breathe. When mm-hmm. we are under stress, our breath tends to be short and shallow. We tend to hold it more in the chest, but yeah, if we're able to drop into the I've belly. I've noticed that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that simple practice can change how we feel in our body, but also change how we feel emotionally and also affect the way that we feel and think and view the world. So that's a really big, important part of my self-care practice. Self-massage is also really important. And I use that. Yeah, I, share I like the that sound the of book. that. <laughs> <laughs> it's really good. Yeah. And um, writing, creative writing, just uh, writing down my thoughts, even if it's just writing a gratitude list, it's part of mm-hmm. my self-care ritual as well. And for and me, you have it to do it with your hand, right? Because I heard that when you actually write it, like it, it connects to a part of your brain that manages your emotions, your emotional center. Um, absolutely. As opposed to yeah. typing. Yes. Yes, yeah. absolutely. I think it's, I think it's more beneficial to write pen to use pen to paper, but mm-hmm. I also believe that just the practice in and of itself 
is valid whether you use pen and paper if you use it on if you do it with your phone or your computer that's good too because it gets you in the in the practice of focusing on uh the positive things that are happening in your life instead of the negative things and which i think shifts us into a space of optimism and hope which is very good so those yeah. are just some of the things that i do on a regular basis to to take care of myself and spending time in nature too is a really big part of my self-care practice yeah and what advice do you have for those who don't have a lot of time to incorporate these these self-care practices good question uh what i advise people to do if they're struggling to create a self-care practice is to just start with the breath because the breath is something that we we all breathe we all breathe it's just a matter of whether or not we breathe uh skillfully so just to take a few moments in your day even if it's just to take 10 breaths and do it with awareness that's a wonderful way to begin building a self-care practice so they then, can do this in the middle of their day right when they like just at any time they feel overwhelmed or they feel like yeah. there's just too much going on they can just i stop take deep i take, take deep, deep breaths, breaths i take deep breaths standing online at the grocery store I take deep breaths when I'm in my car driving and I'm in traffic. Uh, I take deep breaths anywhere, anytime. And that's something that's available to us and accessible. And dealing with difficult children. people. That's a big one before sending yeah. that e angry email. <laughs> yeah. But I yeah. feel as though when it comes to breath work, it's important to practice it also when you're not under stress so that you just get into a habit so that when you are in a stressful situation, you're already well practiced at stopping and paying attention to how you feel. Got and, it. And, okay. Yeah, and using that practice, it's important to when you when you're building a self care practice to do things that you enjoy. It's hard to make yourself do things that you don't enjoy. And and yes. the practices that I give in the book, I give so many, and I and I ask the reader to think about what in this array of the smorgasbord of, of tools I've given you, what did you enjoy most? And if you enjoyed that most, then start to figure out, okay, when can I put this into my day? Would it work best for me in the morning or in the afternoon or in the evening? Uh, and then just do it, even if it's just five minutes of your time, because we all have five minutes. Sometimes we think we don't, but we really, we really do. And the most important thing that we could do for ourselves is to invest in our self-care and our well-being it helps us do everything else in life better yeah it's all about prior prioritizing right right yeah right absolutely and you write something really profound in your book um you say that in order to change our circumstances and improve our lives we first have to shift our negative perceptions about ourselves and the world so steven how do we begin to do that what helped you make that shift? Well, the what helped me was to first understand that the that we're all generally hardwired for the negative, right? We we tend to focus on the negative, and and part of that is just uh, a very primal uh, need to be able to look at the situation that we're in, to assess it, to assess any threats, and then to um, take care of ourselves, but. The thing is, most of the situations that we're in don't really hold uh, great threats to us. So it's important to um, just know that the perceptions that we have aren't necessarily reflective of what's actually happening. 
That's one thing. And then... Yes, that quote by Marcus Aurelius, it's not the problem that's the problem, it's your attitude about the problem. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And also, it's important to acknowledge, and for some people this is easier than others, to acknowledge that the way that we think is not the only way that one can think about this particular circumstance that you may find yourself in, that there are other ways to look at it. And there are certain points of view that one can have that will bring about a, a, a certain level of peace and well-being. Um, changing your perception, and I heard this very early on in recovery, that addiction is a disease per se, of perceptions, uh, the way that we view ourselves and the way that we view the world. And sometimes if we view things always in a negative light, it creates more stress and it creates more tension in the body and in the mind. And then it's something that helps us to perpetuate this, the, the acting out in addictive ways. So if we can shift the mind a bit to just alter our perceptions of, of the world and of ourselves, then that does a lot to move us along on our recovery path and learn how to uh, take care of ourselves and live a more happy, joyous, and more conscious life. Was there a specific modality that you used to begin shifting your perception? Um, I don't think it was just a modality. I think it was just a practice of reframing. Yeah, exactly. Just a practice of reframing and just also just practicing being aware of what my initial thoughts or ideas about the world around me were. Uh, just not assuming that just because I have a thought or feeling or idea about something that that is absolutely true. That there's possibly more to the story than, than what I am uh, perceiving in the moment. Okay, so changing your perception. Um, and you say that gratitude also played a massive role in helping you do that. So tell us about that. I know you briefly mentioned your gratitude practice. Um, how else were you able to incorporate that into your life? My first uh, recovery sponsor suggested that I make a gratitude list every day because, again, it is an opportunity to look at not to look at life in a different way, to look at what was actually going right in my life. No matter how difficult any circumstance that we're in may be, there's always, there's always something positive that's happening at the same time. But oftentimes we're focusing on that thing that's, that's negative or that's causing us uh, so much difficulty or pain. And it just, it's a wonderful practice to just get yourself into the a regular routine of just paying attention to what's good and start off really simple. Start like for me, when I think about what I'm grateful for, it always starts off with, oh, I'm grateful that I had a really good night's sleep, or I'm really grateful that I woke up today, that the I'm alive. Things. The simple things, because not everyone, you know, wakes up in the morning, you That's know, true. and, uh, I'm grateful that I have food on the table or that I have money in the bank or that I have peace of mind or that I have my health or that my children are healthy. Um, there's so many things that we can look around uh, and see that, that, that we are, could be grateful for. 
and that just changes how we think. It changes it really does. our brains. It changes. Uh, it rewires the brain, and yeah. it's an, that's an important thing for us to do because I because addiction and trauma changes the wiring of the brain. And it thank does. God, thank God uh, that our brains are flexible, and I believe they call it neuroplasticity that we are able to heal in that way. And I think gratitude is a really big part of that. Yeah. And I think also just to stop complaining, which is the flip flip side of that, right? Stop complaining, stop getting into victim mentality, because I see that victim mentality seems to be floating around a lot, especially on Mm. social media. So it's like, I think that is also something that needs to be, you know, kind of nipped in the bud, like in the early stages, and replaced with gratitude. Don't you think so? Absolutely. I think it's about finding balance. And what you just described is finding balance. You you feel and you see all this negativity around you. What can you do? What are you going to empower yourself with and to do to change that and how you feel and how that affects you? Uh, We all have the power to do that. And it can start with gratitude. Absolutely. And Stephen, are you still professionally dancing or is that something you you stop no, no. I, I danced, yeah. gosh, I danced for over 20 years professionally. Oh, wow, 20 years. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I had a very long career. And so back, I think I stopped dancing professionally in 2009, 2008. And, okay. uh, and now I just dance for my own enjoyment. Yeah. Dance for my own enjoyment. And does that also help you? Like with you know, just incorporating dance into your life? Because I know that you also teach dance classes. Mm-hmm. Yes, I do. I teach, I teach movement. I teach uh, imp- improvisational dance classes to my membership community, the SWE studio. That's something that I offer because I know the healing power of, of movement and, ex- and expression in that way. Yeah, because whenever I watch dancers on Broadway, it always mm. looks like that they're in a form of trance and that they're, mm. I mean, that's what I see as, you know, yeah. as being part of the audience. But is that something that you experienced when you were on stage? Absolutely. Absolutely. I feel as though when you're, when you're on stage and when you've just learned material, you're constantly, you're of course thinking about the material that you've learned and, oh, this movement is on this count and I have to be standing on this point, this part of the stage. And I have to be aware that someone is coming towards me because we're going to do a lift. But then after a while, it becomes just part of muscle memory. And you're able to, to take all that information in and still tap into a different layer of yourself and your soul, which I think is something that happens, can happen for each and every one of us when we dance, when we take the time and when we just really drop into our own sense of self and the flow and the present moment. But thank you. Thank you so much, Stephen, for for being with us and for this very, very insightful conversation that I'm sure a lot of people will benefit from. You know, your story, your teachings uh, will definitely speak to um, a lot of people out there. Thank you so much for having me. I love having conversations like this and you're absolutely delightful. Thank you. So I just want to let everyone know that Stephen's new book, Recovering You, Soul Care and Mindful Movement for Overcoming Addiction, is available in all major bookstores and on his website, stephenwashingtonexperience.com. It's been a pleasure, Stephen. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. 
Thanks. You as well. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. If you enjoyed what you just heard, please subscribe to my podcast and feel free to share it with your friends and family. Take care and speak soon.